Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, church family. Good to see you this morning. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? I hear mixed response. You know, the, the thing about this season is uh, we, we tend to rush it, don't we? Like, we get the Christmas lights up. My family, we probably set them up too early. We wait until after Remembrance Day, but then they're on. And the season just goes by so quick. I, I would like to just take a moment slow down and be intentional about this season. Because in the hustle and the bustle, and the commercialism, the schedule, all the trips to family and friends and whatever you got going on this season, it can be really easy to miss what Christmas is all about. I don't, I don't know why I'm overcome by emotion this morning. I cried all the way through the music thinking I would get it out. <laughs> and then I'd be good to preach. I was thinking, I, uh, now I probably got some of you crying. It's like, oh man, it's going to be a long <laughs> sermon. I was thinking about the Christmas season. And I was thinking about Merry Christmas and how we tend to be holly jolly and... We give that big, joyful greeting, and I, I wanted to make special note this morning that as much as it is a joyful season for so many, and there's always reason to be merry, we're going to be talking about hope today, for, for many people, It's going to be a hard Christmas. Oh, it's going to be a long sermon. (laughs) There'll be an empty seat at the table. Maybe less gifts under the tree. I just want us to take a moment and just be mindful of that because it's really easy to see the lights and the decorations and I was hoping for a few more Christmas carols this morning band I really was because I love Christmas carols but it's really easy to get sucked up in the joy and the experience and the the tradition and the nostalgia of the season and forget that there are people in our community who are hurting who don't feels so joyful in this season. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that, Aaron. Obviously allergies. Yeah, allergies. Something. Oh, look at I didn't plant those. Is that, is that okay? Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, from Crosspoint Church down in the States, and one of the things they said, they were talking about the season and how we got to be mindful because it's not joyful for everyone. And they were talking about um, not letting your emotions control you. Like our emotions are valid. We should pay attention to them. We should consider other people's emotions. And that's, that's part of our approach to the Christmas season is how we feel about it. But we can't let how we feel trump the truth of what the Christmas season is all about. And the way they said it, I loved it. It's like, you can let your emotions pick the soundtrack that you listen to as you go on the road trip, but you can't put them behind the wheel. Like, it's a part of how we approach the season, but it it shouldn't control us. It shouldn't control how we think 
about the, the season. Uh, we're going to talk about hope today. Here's, here's what we're doing this Christmas season. Last Christmas, we talked about the angels. Angels we've heard. We talked about the four angelic announcements. This year, we're going to go all in on this Advent candle theme. Hope, love, joy, peace. And then Christmas Eve, we're going to light the Christ candle because all of those can be found only in Jesus. John 14, 6. He's the reason for the season. So we've, we've put together a discussion guide. It's in the newsletter all four weeks. Questions, scripture you can read. Take this conversation further. Get together with a friend over a good eggnog latte and chat through this content. Take it a little further. Your life group leaders have the discussion guides. We want to talk all about hope, love, joy, and peace this Christmas season. So this morning we're talking about hope. Anybody do the advent calendar thing with their family? Yeah. I remember as a kid, my sisters and I, we would get these chocolate advent calendars. The cheap ones from Dollarama, I think they were, where it's like these waxy chocolates that really don't taste good. But it was super exciting. At supper time, after you ate all your food, you could get out your advent calendar that mom had on top of the fridge because couldn't reach up there back then. And you would find the number of the day, the date in, Jan in December, and you would punch out that little cardboard rectangle and then you would pop out that stamped chocolate that had some sort of Christmas image stamped into it. And then you would eat that disgusting little thing. But there'd be excitement and energy and Christmas tradition wrapped up in that. And now people have got really creative with the advent calendars, haven't they? You've probably heard of some pretty creative ones out there. Lego puts out an advent calendar. You can get sciency advent calendars where every day you open up a new piece to this electronic gizmo project. That'd be kind of cool. I've heard families in our church have their own advent traditions where every day there's an activity or a scripture reading or something to do as a family that's very intentional that points to the real meaning of Christmas. I think that's pretty cool. Do you remember a few years back we did the Christmas journey? And we put out that booklet where you had a daily devotional all the way through the Christmas season. And Sydney made those beautiful little figurines, the nativity, 25 of them. That was a lot of work. And then Sydney and her grampy were in a video for each one of those leading up to Christmas. That was a lot of fun. But Advent is all about how we approach the season. Advent is a, comes from a Latin term, Adventus, meaning arrival the long-awaited arrival of the newborn king. That's what Christmas is all about. So it's all wrapped up in this eager expectation of how we approach the season. Advent draws our attention back to the real meaning of Christmas, gets our mind and our heart and our spirit focused on what Christmas is all about. Maybe in your home you have um, those family Advent traditions are wrapped up in some physical display you open the door and you pull it out and you, kind of like our display right over here, you walk over and you open up the door and then, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? There's something in there, isn't there? It's a cup, almost. It's uh, an hourglass. Look at that. You can get it at Ikea for $9.12. Do you ever watch these things as a kid? Yeah. Isn't it interesting? I don't know how long this one is. I guess we'll find out today. <laughs> Advent is, is all about the long-awaited arrival of the newborn king. And it, waiting's hard, isn't it? And society kind of plays down the role of waiting. Like, why would you wait? You can... Order it on Amazon, you can get two-day shipping and it'll be right there. Why, why would you take up a craft like knitting? It takes so long. You just go to the store and buy it for a few dollars. It's probably more cost-effective and time-effective, isn't it? Why, why would you wait and invest that time? It's hard to wait. My daughter, I can't tell you how many times she's asked, how many more days until Christmas? Do you have somebody in your life, niece, nephew, who 
is constantly asking how many more days, and then as soon as you give them the number, they're going to remind you about it over and over and over. Why, why are kids so eagerly expectant when it comes to Christmas? And why are we as adults not? I want you to talk about that further in your groups, actually. That's one of the questions. But think about it. Society doesn't want us to wait. We find it hard to wait. Why would we wait? What is the point of waiting? And how is waiting related to hope? What is hope? The Oxford Dictionary says, hope is a feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen, a feeling of trust. So we started talking about feelings. Is, is hope just a feeling? Is it just like a relentless optimism, you know? Just having a positive outlook on life, is that hope? Is that what hope is? Turn to Luke chapter 1, if you would. And I'd like to start by digging into there. Luke chapter 1, where the Christmas story begins. As you're turning there, why don't, why don't we look to God in prayer? We'll ask for his direction over this time together. God, I want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the hope that it brings us. Jesus, thank you that you are the hope this season. God, I'm sure there are people in the room, people online who are struggling, feeling hopeless in this season. God, would you show them through your word today, by the power of your spirit, in the face of your son, that they can find hope today for their souls. Hope to build their life on, hope to bring meaning to the waiting. God, thank you for the hope that you bring today. Help us as we look to your word now, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1. There's so much hope given in the Christmas story, isn't there? You think back to uh, Luke chapter 2 being read at the Christmas pageant. Those four angelic announcements we talked about last year. This, this is the second angelic announcement, and it comes to Mary. This is God's promise from the mouth of Gabriel, the archangel, which Mary was called to put her hope in. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. All right, let's not miss the context here. Nazareth. We know what the disciples said about Nazareth, right? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's the context. Mary is engaged to Joseph, not yet married, still a virgin. Probably lots of hopes and dreams for her future. Maybe she has a Pinterest board with all of her wedding plans on it. Do you know what Mary's name means? It means, it comes from the Hebrew word Mara, meaning rebellious or contentious. Is that interesting? I never knew that. And, and names mean something in Hebrew culture, don't they? Much more significant than they are today. So what could that mean? Mary doesn't strike me, knowing her story, reading it every year, as rebellious or contentious. I don't have an answer for you. I thought I'd just throw it out there. Verse 28. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Favored means grace. Verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Do you ever try and rationalize the ways and the workings of God into your own practical context? You can say it this way. Do you, ever, do you ever try and wrap your mind around God's plans, God's will, God's ways? The fact that they're higher than our ways, above our thoughts, size the heavens are above the earth, beyond our comprehension. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor, you have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Emphasis added. Do you see the confidence in that statement? This is a message from God through the angel Gabriel directly to Mary. God is going to do this and you can take that to the bank. That is God's promise in which Mary was to trust and place her faith and her hope. That was the promise on which Mary was called to wait. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That'd probably be our response too, wouldn't it? Maybe why, maybe when, but definitely how. <laughs> how is this going to work? Do you know what how means? It means Mary was looking around at her situation. I'm not yet married. I'm still a virgin. I'm engaged to Joseph. What he, what's he going to think? What about my wedding? What about all these plans for our future? What about the carpentry business? How is this going to work? Mary was looking at her situation and saying, how? God, how are you going to do that in this? And I think hope calls us to flip the script on that one. See, a lot of times we view God through the lens of our circumstances. We look around at the life around us and we think, wow, how is God going to do anything with this? But we need to flip the script in that we need to view our circumstances through the lens of God's plan. What if instead of starting with our circumstances and then trying to figure out what that says about God, we start with God and try and figure out what he says about what we're going through? How would that change the direction? Mary asks, how? How is my situation going to result in that? Verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is where our hope finds its footing. Right here, the Holy Spirit upon you, the Most High, his power overshadowing you. Mary looks around at her situation through the lenses of practicality, and Gabriel says, get your eyes up, get your hopes up, consider the power of God's Spirit. The fact that the Most High is going to overshadow you. His ways are way above your ways. Verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. That term servant communicates submission. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the first angelic announcement was to Zachariah and Elizabeth about their miracle baby, John, who would be the forerunner to Jesus. Time was running out. Look at that. Time ran out. <laughs> was that a while ago? Did anybody notice? You noticed, Shay? Good job. Forerunner to Jesus. Time was running out. They had no child, but God's promise was faithful because God is always faithful to his promises. He will never go back on his word. That's where our hope needs to lie. Not in the situation, not in the circumstance, but in the faithful promises of God. That's where Mary leaves the conversation with Gabriel. She says, let it be according to your word. She submits herself as a servant under the will of God. That's the key right there. That's the key to hope. What hope, what dream, what plans for the future are you submitting yourself under? And are you setting yourself up for grave disappointment in the future? Because if you submit your will to God's plans for you, you're not going to be disappointed. You will never be disappointed. Your hope remains as true as God remains true to his word and his promises. Mary says, let it be to me according to my own expectations. No, that's not what she says. Let it be according to my dreams for this season. 
No, that's not what she says. Let it be to me according to the wedding plans my friends and I have been working on together for years. No, that's not what it is. Let it be to me according to the hopes and dreams Joseph and I have for starting out on the right foot with our marriage. No. For the white picket fence. No. For the carpentry business, expanding, and the dreams Mary had for a bakery or a candlestick-making factory or a flower farm. I don't know. What were Mary's dreams before the angels showed up and told her what God's plans were for? Did that change the focus of her hope? I don't know what Mary's dreams were. You know why? Because she submitted her dreams to the will of God. Let it be to me according to your word. That's where our hope lies, isn't it? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we want to know what direction we're stepping in, where we're going, where the next step is for our foot, where our path is leading, where do we look? We look to God's word. He establishes our steps. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Guess what? God's sovereign will, ultimately, will be done. That's where our hope lies. Here's what we need to understand about hope. If our hope is in our dreams, our expectations, our plans, our thoughts about life and love and why, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Does that mean we shouldn't hope, we shouldn't expect, we shouldn't plan, we shouldn't dream? No, not at all. It means we need to submit and subject our hopes to the promise and the character of God. Let me tell you a little story. Um... Elsie's grandparents on her dad's side immigrated from Holland. Really incredible story. You ought to hear it sometime. Actually, her paca, that's what they call their grandfather, is featured in a documentary about Pier 21, where immigrants came over from Holland and the life they entered into in Nova Scotia. Really cool. You should check it out. But we're having coffee time at Paca and Beppa's yesterday. And Paca just found out some health news that puts a timeline on how much time he has left with us? So, I'm standing in the kitchen with Paco. He's a big, tall Dutch man. He's kind of bent over and we're chatting. We're chatting about his health diagnosis. and He says, you know, Josh, I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church in Holland. And from ages 5 to 12, we had catechism class. Do you know the first thing in the Heidelberg Catechism, the very first thing, the question is, what is your only What is your only comfort in life and death? He said, the answer to that question that I learned when I was in catechism class from 5 to 12 is the same hope and answer that I'm holding onto now. And the answer is this from the catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And he set me free from all the powers of the devil, He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all these things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. 
That's hope. And that beautiful man that I stood with in his kitchen has held on to that hope for over 80 years. That's hope. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Hope is faith in the waiting. You see, this isn't going to be one of those sitcom sermons where, you know, we have a little cry and then by the end we get a laugh and we've figured everything out and we've resolved all the issues and we're good to go. The, the scrolling credits go and everybody's cheering and it's over. It's complete and there's a nice bow on top and, you know, sitcom sermon. That, it's not going to be that way for this sermon. Because hope requires us to wait. The reality of hope is, calls us to be patient. By definition, hope requires us to wait. We have to wait. Let's start in verse 18. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Paul has just given this beautiful picture of the adoption of God that Lori just read up here for the lighting of the hope candle. There's a hope-filled process that involves a lot of time and waiting. The adoption process, a lot of time, a lot of waiting. Through the power of the Spirit, we're given the spirit of adoption whereby we call out Abba Father. If we're children of God, then we're co-heirs with Christ and we share in his suffering. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. The New Living Translation says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that's coming. Nothing. Isn't that a confident statement in our future hope? Whatever you're going through, whatever came to mind when we started this sermon and we talked about approaching the Christmas season and the emotion that's wrapped up in it, I feel harsh saying this, but this is scripture. It is nothing compared to the weight of glory that is to be revealed, that is to come, that is in the future if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, the glory that is to come. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing, that's hope, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Think about that, don't miss that. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they received the curse. Creation was also subject to that curse. And we see it in our broken world today. You can see wherever you look, brokenness, sickness, evil, death, it's all around us. But God gave this curse, subjected creation to futility in hope. He clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of the lamb. He pointed them to the one who would crush the snake. That's the promise of hope. Verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Isn't that beautiful? You can't get much more poetic and picturesque than that. This is hope. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. We're waiting for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There are so many pictures there of awaited hope in the world, in the church. All of creation experiences the curse of sin. The brokenness in our world is awaiting resolve. That includes the environment, that includes the economy, that includes the government, our schools, our health care. 
climate change anxiety, the mental health crisis, the woke movement, gender identity, inflation, housing, war, conflict. We see brokenness all over our world. I mean, how does the hope of Christmas speak to the broken world in which we live? The world is waiting and watching this weekend during this four-day ceasefire in Gaza. And we're counting. 50 hostages to be released. 20 women, 30 children. I read that and I see it and I see those images and then I'm hanging out with family in my living room eating Doritos. How do you reconcile that? How, how is the hope that I experience for Christmas in Atlantic Canada the same hope that's going to reach people who are in a hostage situation in the Middle East? You think of the fragile hope that those parents and family members are holding on to. Maybe that'll be my son that they release. These people need hope. The world needs hope. The world's broken. Hope for the waiting, for the church, for the children of God. Hope speaks purpose into our waiting. Why would we wait? Because of hope. Our faith informs our waiting. Creation was subjected to futility, to confusion, to purposelessness, to hopelessness. Oh, but wait, God subjected it in hope. And we know that hope. Hope is Jesus. If you're a child of God, that means you've come to recognize that Jesus is your hope. He's your only hope. He's the hope for the world. Therefore, Paul can say this present suffering is nothing compared to future glory. That brings purpose to the pain. It's like the pain of an expectant mother. Paul talks about childbirth. I got a picture here to show you about my new nephew, Blake, Blake Kenneth. We just met him yesterday, uh, another new baby. I've watched my two sisters and a sister-in-law go through pregnancy this year. Never experienced it personally, but I got to watch as they went through the uh, first trimester morning sickness and weight gain and wardrobe change and pain in their back, sleepless nights, trying to learn a new sleeping position, not being able to continue on in work, having to stay at home, affects your social life, and then there's the whole labor and delivery, which is a scary whirlwind of everything, and then there's postpartum and healing and pain and getting used to a brand new normal and, a, and an added dynamic in your family, and then feeling all these emotions. You thought it would be one way, and it's like, whoa, this is so much. But then you hold that little baby, and Jade just had to pinch his cheek, apparently. I guess it was that cute, but... Makes it all worth it, doesn't it? To go through all that pain and suffering and nine months of waiting expectantly to hold that glorious little baby in your arms. It gives purpose to the waiting. All of those moms would say, yeah, I'd do that again. This is the picture Paul's painting. We, we groan inwardly literally, if you're pregnant, we groan inwardly and we wait eagerly. It gives purpose to the pain. Adoption as sons and daughters, redemption of our sinfully broken bodies. This is faith for the waiting. This is purpose through the pain. Back to verse 24. In this hope, we were saved. Okay, let's think about this for a moment. Try and wrap our heads around. Hope, as we've been portraying it, is something in the future, right? Something that's coming, something that's we, that we're waiting for. Advent is the season of the long-awaited arrival, preparing our hearts for the birth of the newborn king. Hope is something future, but Paul says, in this hope, we were saved. 
He puts it in past tense. That's, that means it's already happened. How, do, how does that work? How do we rationalize that? If hope is faith as we're waiting for something in the future, how are we saved in hope already? How does that work? Okay, I got two thoughts for you. Number one, there is this tension between already and not yet. Already and not yet. Yes, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we have been saved in a moment of personal decision of faith. We are saved. It's accomplished. Our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's where Paul goes next. But also, daily, we are being saved. And ultimately, we are going to be saved from the wrath that is to come. And we think of eternity. So we are saved, but also we will be saved at the same time. There's a tension there. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places, but also at the same time, we're not there yet. We're citizens of heaven, but we haven't fully arrived there yet. We're adopted, but we don't experience the fullness of our adoption yet. We're redeemed by the blood of the lamb, redeemed, redeemed, but we will experience the failings of our aging bodies and minds until someday we experience the fullness of our redemption. So there's an already and a not yet to our hope. Christ already came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Now we're waiting for Christ to come again. There's an already and a not yet. So that's, that's the first thing I would say. Second thing, if our hope hinges on the promises and characters of God, it's as if it already happened. That's how confident and how sure we can be. When God makes a promise, it's secure. He does not change. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word fails not. The flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It will never change. If God says it will happen, it may as well have already happened. That's how confident and how sure we can be in God's promise. If it's in his nature, it will not change because God cannot change. Verses 24 and 25. Here's the struggle. We can't necessarily see hope, can we? It's not physical. It's not really a tangible thing. You can't really experience it with your senses. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But you can tell when a person is living with hope, can't you? And it's pretty abundantly clear when somebody's totally hopeless, isn't it? What is that thing? How do we put our finger on that? What are they full of? If they're hopeful, what are they full of? Andy Crouch says hope is a spiritual discipline and as a spiritual discipline, it's an instrument rather than a device. You see, a device will do it for you. You can just ask it. It'll take care of it. But an instrument, you have to actually pick up the tool and put it to work. So hope is a spiritual discipline. Spiritual disciplines require discipline. You've got to put them into practice. There's got to be training. There's got to be active effort on your part to take hope and to put it to work. A tool isn't going to accomplish anything sitting on your workbench in your shop until you go and you put it to work. Faith, hope is an instrument, not a device. We need to put it to work. We need to actively practice it. Dis disciplines are developed with time, training, practice, this is an element of our hope as well. You can have hope right now because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you. That hope can be yours right now. But at the same time, we're called to practice that hope, to put faith to work in the waiting. You see, maybe for you, you've come to Jesus. You've made that decision. 
You entered into the waters of baptism. You told the world, hey, I made this decision. I'm going public with my faith. But maybe you're not practicing your faith. Maybe you've made the decision, you know your eternity is secure in heaven, but you're living day to day as if that reality is whatever. And you're not living out your faith. You are not practicing the hope to which you are called, the hope by which you've been saved. What does it look like to practice it, to put it to work? What does that look like? Well, it looks like waiting. That's why Paul says next in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit does. Isn't that good? You don't, you don't know what's coming next in your life. You can write down your list of hopes and dreams and plans, and I would encourage you to do so, because that can be a good practice. But ultimately, you don't know what's coming next, but the Spirit does. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, Paul keeps using that language, groaning, inward groaning. There's something pulling in your spirit. There's something telling you there is more, there is hope. And the spirit is taking that same language and he is the intercessor between our will and God's will. Our hopes and dreams for the future and God's ultimate sovereign plan for us. And he is interceding between with groanings, with utterings too deep to understand. Too deep for words. Verse 27. He who searches the hearts knows what's in the mind of the spirit. Here's the thing. God knows your hopes and dreams and your plans for your life. He knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is a huge function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes you where you're at and intercedes between you and the Father your will and his will. And here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like a child running to dad to get permission and dad says no. So he runs back to mom to get permission and mom says no. So he runs back to dad. It's not trying to change anybody's will. The Holy Spirit is trying to get you to see that your will needs to submit to the father's will. And the Holy Spirit is the bridge between the two. The fruit of the spirit. The spiritual disciplines gives us opportunity to submit our will in practice on a daily basis under God's will, God's ultimate plan for our life. And isn't that where our hope truly lies? Not in our own hopes and dreams and lists for the future. The spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, verse 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know what's coming next. Here's what we do know. God is working all these things together for our good and his glory. And the Holy Spirit is interceding between our will and his will to get us to see that and understand that and practice that. God is working all these things together for good. Are we going to submit to his plan? Or are we going to try and hold on to our own? The Holy Spirit is coaxing us towards the former. Paul knows that there's a lot of wondering. There's a lot of wandering during the waiting. That's why he points out God's not leaving you in the lurch. He supplies you with his spirit to help bridge the gap between what you think you want to need, your hopes and dreams, and helps bring your will in submission to God's will. Because guess what? God's got plans. He's working through our situations to bring about his good plans. That takes time. Ultimately, it takes until eternity. It looks like groaning inwardly 
as we wait eagerly. It's hard to wait though, isn't it? My kids can't wait for Christmas. How many more days? My daughter's pretty convinced that when it snows, Christmas is the next day. It's hard to tell her otherwise because she doesn't have her days of the week and certainly not days of the month straight in her head. But get this, thousands of years before that first Christmas, Adam and Eve ate that fruit and creation was subjected to futility in hope. You're now going to have to be kicked out of the garden. The animals and the plants aren't going to respond the way that they did to you. You're going to have to work hard for what you have in childbirth. That's going to be painful. But the seed of the woman will crush the snake's head. And they wait. And then God says to Abraham, leave your country, leave your home, leave your family, leave it all and go to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will give you a land. And then there's the son of promise. And Abraham, through you, through your seed and your offspring, Jesus, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then there's waiting. You know, Abram waited 25 years for the child of promise. He didn't get to see Christmas in his lifetime. And then 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And God, through Moses, delivers the Israelites. And they're wandering in the wilderness. And in the book of Numbers, as they're in the wilderness, God says, there will be a star from Jacob. The star. And then more waiting. And then the people are awaiting captivity. And they're hearing the pronouncement of God's judgment for their idolatry and their rebellion. And then through the prophet Isaiah, Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, to his kingdom, his rule and reign, there will be no end. And they wait and they wait. And then Assyria has taken the northern kingdom and they're encamped around Israel and it's siege, which means they're all stuck inside. They're just waiting hopelessly for Assyrians to take them into captivity. And God says through Micah, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little, out of you will come one. And then they're waiting. Four hundred years of waiting. And then the angel meets Zachariah and Zachariah is dumbfounded. And then the angel announces to Mary and then nine months. And then there's the angelic announcement to the shepherds. There's the star, there's the wise men. It's all coming to this point. And, and Lori read this verse, Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Be a different story if Adam and Eve got a slap on the wrist and Jesus was right there. Wouldn't it? Doesn't the long-anticipated eager expectancy speak to the value and the worth and the glory and the divine sovereign plan of God for the fullness of time to Jesus to be born, placed in that manger, to grow up and to die for the sins of the world. Jesus came, and now we're waiting in hope for his return. Our painful situations will one day be fully restored because of Jesus. He is our hope. So is your hope in the promise of God today? Or are your eyes fixed on your circumstance? Is your hope a list drawn from your own will? I'm not sure your situation in this season, but whatever the pain, 
whatever the disappointment, the sorrow, maybe the joy, maybe the excitement, God calls us to wait on his promise of faith. So I would ask, would you all stand? We're going to read one scripture in closing and then we'll be done. Enjoy a shared lunch together. Psalm 130. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's just eight verses. And I want you to think about this as we read it. Can we read it together as we close? Psalm 130, verse 1. You ready? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. The last verse. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Praise God. Would you pray with me as we close? God, would you give us hope for the waiting? Help us to put our faith to work as we wait in whatever season of pain we may find ourselves. God, our ultimate hope in life and in death is that Jesus Christ has paid for all my sin with his precious blood. And his resurrection has brought me life more abundant than I will ever fathom in this life. Jesus, you are our hope this Christmas. God, I pray if there are any here who have not placed their faith and trust in you, that you would show them today is the day of salvation. That Holy Spirit, you would be drawing them to the Father. God, I pray for us who have made a decision for Jesus. Maybe it's been years in our Christian walk. Would you help us to be active in our faith? Help us to practice it daily. Remind us of the hope that we have only in you. And Father, if there are other things in our life that have usurped your place on the throne of hope in our heart, God, would you help us to kick them off today? Jesus, you are our hope. You are the reason for this season. Thank you for the hope that you bring us. God, we pray all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.